I think somebody ran off with those. Uh, Rick, do you have those? <laughs> somebody took my notes off the pulpit here. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let him preach next week. <laughs> um, are you amazed? Jesus is amazing. Uh, we're gonna start our new study today through the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is gonna take us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and see some really amazing things. And you know. Sometimes I think if you've been a Christian a while, um, if you uh, have known the Lord many years, uh, as I have or as others in the room here have, uh, you at some point you stop being amazed. You know, you read the stories about Jesus or you read what the epistles have to say about how we should live our lives in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts and indwells us and adopted us into the family of God and is carrying us through this life and on into eternity. And it kind of becomes kind of a, oh, hum, old hat. Okay. And we stop being amazed. And as we look at the Gospel of Mark here, and this is going to take us several months, there are 16 chapters in Mark and a lot of content. Well, it's going to take us probably uh, through the summer to get through the Gospel of Mark together. Uh, I want us to, to just stop and to think about what is really being said in this book. About who Jesus is and what he has done and what he came to do for us. And to be amazed. You know, years ago there was a, uh, an ad campaign that came out for Grape Nut Cereal. You remember this one? And they said, grape nuts, taste them again for the very first time. Uh, if you've tried grape nuts, uh, whether for the first or the second time, you know that they taste a lot like uh, little pellets of uh, sawdust. Um, but, you know, I suppose they're okay on yogurt, all right? But sometimes I think we think of uh, the gospel and of the good news about Jesus as kind of like grape nuts. You know, good for you but not good in its own, for its own sake. And amazing in that God came to earth and became incarnate as a man and lived a perfect life. And we read these things that Jesus did, whether it was healing those born blind or crippled or demon-possessed or walked on water or calmed a storm, and we go, yeah, 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 heard all that before. And so I, I want us to look at the Gospel of Mark and at Jesus with fresh eyes as we study together. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to go through verse 20 today. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The, king, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, the Gospel of Mark starts out uniquely among the Gospels. Uh, the Gospel of John, as you know, uh, starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's meant to parallel the the, uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in the beginning, God. And John is trying to draw a parallel between the fact that Jesus is not just somebody who showed up, that he was there in the beginning with God, that he is God and was God and will be God. And, of course, Matthew and Luke, you know, we've just come through the Christmas season, and, you know, that each of those books start out with a genealogy. And Matthew's is built around the pattern of 14 generations because 14 is the number of David. And Matthew's goal is to present Jesus as the son of David. And there were 14 generations from here to David and from David to here because David, he is the son of David. He is the Messiah who was to come. And Luke presents uh, Jesus as uh, the, the son of Abraham, the son of uh, Moses, the son of, you know, I mean, not the son of Moses, the son of David, the son of Adam, all the way back to the son of God, right? And Mark starts out just bang, <laughs> and it sort of fits with Mark's style. In fact, the most common word, in, or one of the very common transition words in, uh, in Mark is the word euthus. Now, you don't need to know that, uh, except to say this, okay? Uh, over and over and over in Mark's gospel, there's this phrase, at once this happened. Immediately this happened. Ba-boom, 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 okay? And it's, and, and it's very quick-paced. I mean, it's 16 chapters. It's the shortest gospel, and he's trying to give it to you as fast as he can. And church tradition says that Mark's gospel is the record of Peter's preaching. And so there's a lot of condensation of detail that happens. Things that you read in Matthew 
uh, in the form of a chapter, you get a couple of lines in Mark. And so Mark starts off with, with what he wants you to know about Jesus, and he's going to give it to you in the first verse, and then he's going to jump from there to a prophecy. The beginning of the, it literally says, the beginning of the, well, the word is gospel, the, the euangelion, the good news, the good announcement about Jesus, Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of God, rather. Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God. He wants you to conclude that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God. And that's the point of the gospel, is to conclude that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. And he's going to give you all the rest of the book to back up the statement he makes in chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. And then he's going to jump right after that to a prophecy. And he's going to say... Uh, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and he's going to give you this line. Now, it's actually not simply Isaiah, even though that's how the text reads. The first line is from the the prophet Malachi. Uh, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, The other part is from uh, Isaiah, but you have to understand that Isaiah in Hebrew understanding, is this massive prophet. I mean, he has 66 chapters. He is the first prophet listed in the Hebrew canon as you're going through. Uh, you, you have the law, and then you have this, this big section of prophets, and then you have the writings in the Hebrew canon. And the first prophet, and the most major one, is Isaiah. And so he's going to skip over Malachi, because Malachi is only a few chapters And he's going to say, it says in Isaiah, the prophet, and he's going to quote both Malachi and Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. He's going to link these two prophecies because they're about the same person, about this forerunner who was to come. And then right after that, he's going to tell you who the forerunner was, that it was John. Uh. And this, is the, and this is the thing. John's ministry was prophesied. He's going to bring up John, but he's before that going to say, John didn't just come out of nowhere. John's ministry was the fulfillment of prophecy. Why is that important? Because if Jesus is the Messiah and the prophets foretold there would be a forerunner to the Messiah, you need to know not only who the Messiah was, but to back up the claim that Jesus is Messiah, you have to know who the forerunner was. So who was the forerunner? What well, was John, according to Mark? And, and this idea of a forerunner might not make sense to you, but uh, in, in ancient culture, what you did, you know, we still do this to a certain extent, only we don't do it quite the same way. In our day, the Secret Service comes in to a location ahead of the president as the advance team, and they get everything ready for his arrival, and they make sure everything is secure and you know, so that when Air Force One touches down, there's no issues, right? In those days, what they did was they would send literally a runner to be like Paul Revere. The king is coming! The king is coming! The king is coming! And so you could get ready for the king's arrival. Because when the king came, you didn't want to be looking scroungy and having your funky, nasty clothes on. You wanted to be looking good because the king is coming. 
And you wanted everything to be prepared for his arrival. And John's job was to prepare people for the, uh, for the coming of the, of the king, of the Messiah, who was going to be there. And so in order to get people ready, he's going to baptize the repentant. He's going to baptize the repentant. Uh, and that in itself is remarkable. You want something to be amazed by? John's ministry is amazing. Jewish people historically were never baptized. You know that? You did not baptize a Jew. And the reason was simple, okay? Jews were God's chosen people. They had the sign of circumcision on their men, and everything about a Jew, from his dress, from the style of worship that he had, from his haircut, to the marks, if you were a man, on your body, indicated that you were someone who worshipped God and you were part of the covenant people. And who you baptized was if someone, if they were a Gentile who wanted to become a Jew, they were a man, you first circumcised them, and then after that you baptized them. And it was a way of kind of washing the Gentileness (laughs) off of this person so that they could be regarded as a real Jew. And so here comes John, and he's, you know, he looks like a homeless guy. He's got wild hair, wears kind of this camel hair thing with a leather belt. He's eating bugs and wild honey. And he says, come out of town and repent of your sin and be baptized. Be baptized? You mean like a Gentile? And people did. They realized that he was the forerunner, that the Messiah was coming, and they needed to prepare for his arrival. And they went out to him, and they confessed their sins and were baptized to show that they were repentant, that they were uh, wanting to get right with God before his arrival. And John's, John's primary job was this. It was to not just prepare people, but also to identify the Messiah when he came and to point him out. And that's what John is going to do here in this next section. Uh, He says he's talking about his message here. Um, His message was real simple. After me, in other words, I'm not the Messiah. After me is coming someone more powerful than me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now understand what he's saying there. For a, for a Middle Eastern person in this day, where you walked virtually everywhere you went, unless you were very wealthy, uh, the feet were one of the filthiest parts of you. I mean, think about it. You've got dirt roads, and you've got lots of livestock. Not a good combo if you want clean feet, uh, especially since you've got sandals or bare feet walking around in that mess, Right? And so the feet were regarded as one of the filthiest, nastiest parts of people, which they probably were. And and so anything having to do with taking care of people's feet was regarded as something that you would only have the lowest-ranking slave do. 
that anybody with any status wouldn't touch someone else's feet. Still today, I'm not that wild about the idea. <laughs> okay? And our feet are generally much cleaner than ancient Middle Eastern feet would have been, right? Uh, John's, John is recognized as a holy prophet of God. And yet he says there's someone who is coming soon that is so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to deal with his feet. The Messiah is coming. In other words. Uh, and he says, he, I baptize with water, but he's going to bring the Holy Spirit. And that in itself is also an amazing thing. All through the Old Testament are promises that one day that the Holy Spirit is going to come on all people. Not just on, uh, not just as a special anointing for specific, for specific people at specific times. You know, like you read in Judges where it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson, and he grabbed a donkey's jawbone, and he whacked a thousand Philistines, okay? Uh, this is a special anointing for a specific purpose, whacking Philistines. Uh, uh, or the Spirit of the Lord came on Saul, and he prophesied. Or the Spirit of the Lord came on Samuel, and he said... The Spirit of the Lord came to Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, and you get Isaiah's prophecy, right? Um, but the Old Testament talks about a time when, when one day the Holy Spirit is going to go forth on all people. And John is saying, look, right after me is coming that person who is bringing the Holy Spirit and who is going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit, not just in the water. Now, John's ministry was short-lived. His job, like I say, was to be Paul Revere, you know. Paul Revere uh, famously rode in on horseback saying, the British are coming, the British are coming, the British are coming, everybody get ready. John's job was to say, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. And then to, when Messiah got here to announce, Messiah is here. And Messiah shows up to be baptized by John. John initially, now Mark doesn't give us this detail, Matthew does, that, that initially when Jesus shows up, John balks and says, excuse me, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, now we're going to do it this way. And John says, okay. You say so. And the purpose was so that Jesus could be identified as the Messiah in a public way to all of the repentant people who were ready for him to come. And so you hear this voice from heaven saying, This is my son who is and whom I whom I love, and him I am well pleased. This took place to certify. Jesus as the Messiah. In other words, if you don't believe John's testimony, believe the testimony of God himself. He sent the dove. He sent the Holy Spirit as a dove, and he, he proclaimed from heaven his approval of Jesus. It wasn't just John's testimony. It was also God's, so that Jesus was certified as being the Messiah before he even started his ministry. 
and notice too the content of 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 God's speech here. He says he says three things: "My son, whom I love, and with him, I am well pleased." In other words, God is pleased with Jesus, and that's important because later on in this gospel, in Mark's account of Jesus' life, we're going to meet all kinds of people who are not pleased with Jesus. Uh, you're going to get some very religious people who are not pleased with Jesus. But God says from the outset, I am pleased with Jesus. He is my son. And again, Mark's purpose is to show us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of God. So you get John's testimony, you get God's testimony in the very first chapter. In other words, if you're looking for evidence, here's some evidence. God said, he's my son, he's the Messiah. Uh, One more thing here to see in verses 12 and 13. It says, the spirit, it literally reads, cast Jesus out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Now, why does Mark include that? Uh, It's because he is trying to show that Jesus is the ideal Israelite. He's not only been baptized by John, he's not only been certified as the Messiah by God himself, but he has, in a certain way, uh, recapitulated uh, Israel's experience in the desert. How long was Israel in the desert? Anybody know? 40 years. Jesus is in the desert. How long? 40 days. And he's and when Israel was in the desert, they were being tested. Right? And consistently, by the way, when Israel was in the desert, guess what? Did they succeed or fail? Failed. <laughs> right? You can write fail over their whole experience. Uh, they even named part of the places after their failures. There were the waters of Massah and Meribah, which nicely translated means griping and complaining. Okay. Um, uh, the earth opened up and swallowed part of these people because they were so rebellious against God. Uh, fire came down from heaven and consumed part of the rest of them. Uh, one guy got speared uh, in the desert by one of the priests of God because he was being immoral with some Midianite woman over and over and over. uh, God's people in their time in the desert failed. And yet Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan himself, succeeded. In other words, what more evidence do you need? Jesus is the ideal Israelite. Beyond that, um, uh, we look at verses 14 to 20. You know, we've heard that we've, we've seen so far that, you know, John announced Messiah is coming. And then when he came, we saw Messiah is here. And now you're going to see Messiah is speaking. Uh, verses uh, 14 to 20. Uh, John, it's, it gives us a little background context. It says, after John had been put in prison. John's ministry was short-term, was short-lived, 
uh, John ran afoul of Herod because Herod had married his his brother's ex-wife who was also his niece. Uh, yes, that's as messed up as it sounds. And, uh, and John had said, uh, it's not lawful for you to be married to that woman. There's all, it's messed up on all kinds of levels. And so Herod, in his infinite wisdom, decided, I know what to do. Uh, you know, as I believe it was uh, uh, King Henry of England said, spare me this turbulent priest, right? Um, he said, I know what to do with John. I'm going to put him in prison. And so he put him in prison. Now, later, of course, you find out um, John was martyred uh, by Herod. But after John's put in prison, Jesus is back from the desert, and he begins his ministry. John's ministry is over because the job of the forerunner was simply to announce and identify the Messiah when he came. And you're going to see um, Jesus' announcement that the time has come, how he starts off. He starts going around preaching in Galilee, and he says, the time has come. What time? The time you've been waiting for, the time of the Messiah's coming, it's here. All of Israelite expectation and prophecy, if you read the Old Testament through in a sitting, what you see is that it talks about a lot of different things, but its focus in the future sense is on one person, the Messiah who will usher in the kingdom of God and restore Israel And Jesus says, the time has come that the kingdom of God is here. In other words, uh, to paraphrase a political slogan, we are not the ones that we have been waiting for. Jesus says, I am the one you have been waiting for. That the kingdom of God is coming, and in fact, it's here and I am here to inaugurate it and initiate it and, and to spread it throughout the nation of Israel. It's here. kingdom of God is here. And so he's going to tell them two things. He's going to tell them, first of all, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Uh, to repent means to change direction. It's literally the word that's used there is about changing direction. In in other words, it would be like this. I am going this way, and I repent of that direction, and I turn around and go the other way. I have been running away from God as hard as I can, and I'm going to change direction and go back toward Him. And believe is... In other words, trust what Jesus is saying, that the kingdom of God is here, that he is the Messiah who was to come, and to trust in him. And repent and believe are really two sides of the same coin. Because when you turn away from something, you're turning towards something else. And he says, turn away from your old life and turn toward me and the new life that I'm offering. Repent and believe. And then... As people did repent and believe, he told them something else. Come, follow me. And he didn't say that to just everybody. He said that to those who were interested, to those who did repent and who did believe. 
And so he, he sees Simon, that we're later going to know as Peter, and his brother Andrew. And we see also uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, that follow along also. And something I want you to notice, these guys, we may think, oh, they're fishermen. <sighs> these guys, in following Jesus, are leaving behind their livelihood. They are quitting their jobs for Jesus. He is that compelling. He is that amazing. He is that authentic. He is that believable in his claim that Jesus, that I am the Messiah. The kingdom of God is here. I'm the guy who was to come. In fact, James and John, apparently they were better businessmen than, than Simon and Andrew because they not only are working with their dad, they have hired men. They have employees, in other words, that are working for them in their fishing business. And they go, uh, Dad, uh, really, you know, appreciate the business and all that, but uh, you and the hired guys will have to work it out because we've got to follow Jesus. Now, they are betting everything they have on Jesus being who he claims to be. And this is part of, again, Mark is trying to give evidence all through the gospel that Jesus is who he claims to be. And one of the supporting props is right here. That when Jesus presented himself as who he claimed to be, I am the Messiah, the kingdom of God is here. That people believed it. That his life was so compelling that it supported the claim. And so these guys, you know, poker on TV has become really popular. Uh, these guys take all of the chips that they have. Of everything they have in their life, their livelihood, everything, and they push it all in on, and bet it on Jesus. Now, as we, as we wrap up here, I just want to bring the words of Jesus back to us and offer you these things. It's possible that you're sitting here this morning and you aren't quite sure about this person, Jesus that you read the Gospel of Mark along with us and you think, oh, that's all very nice. Uh, I'm sure Jesus was a wonderful person. Uh, he's certainly a great religious teacher, uh, interesting man, compelling life story, a terrible end to the story, but, you know, hey, uh, you can't have everything. And you're sitting out there and you're not quite sure what to do with Jesus. Let me offer you his words. Repent and believe the good news. All of us have done things that we are not proud of. All of us. In fact, I continue to do some. If you'd like a list, stay afterward. I don't know if you have enough time. All right? Um, all of us have done things of which we're not proud. And Jesus offers a chance to turn from that life and to believe in him and to have new life. A new life that is beyond your wildest imagination in all that it encompasses. So if you're sitting out there and you don't know what to do with this person named Jesus, 
repent and believe. Or maybe you've been a Christian longer than I have been alive. Uh, maybe you have forgotten more scripture than I have ever memorized. Uh, and if that's true, Jesus has a word for you too. Come, follow me. I don't know about you, but the longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize that the road of following Jesus is long and is difficult. And maybe some of you have even had experiences over the last year or in the last several years that have been so difficult that you wonder if following Jesus is worth it. Jesus says, come, follow me. Maybe your Christian life has simply gotten stale. You're not really in major rebellion or anything. It's just that you're complacent and content to not accomplish very much for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, come, follow me. Maybe you're deeply enmeshed in sin, even though you claim to be a follower of Jesus. And you're wondering if there's a way out. Jesus says, come, follow me. Maybe you're that faithful man or woman who has been faithful from the day of their conversion all the way until now. But you're not dead yet. To you, Jesus says, come, follow me. Started this message with a video Asking the question, are you amazed by Jesus? Are you amazed? Let's pray. Father.